This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello and welcome to episode 359 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you're having a good one. Today's story comes from north of the border, where a young man living his best life and with everything to look forward to. But there were issues in his relationship and this led him into the most devastating of situations, one that he never could have thought could have possibly happened to someone like him, as we all think really, don't we? Okay, before we start, let's set some context with our guest of the month and year game. You ready? Number one in the UK charts was Calvin Harris and Dua Lipa with One Kiss. In the US, Drake was in the top spot with Nice For What. And in Australia, the top album was Shawn Mendes with Shawn Mendes. So tell me, why do some artists just name their albums after them? I don't get it, do you? It's just like men who name their children after them. Boys, that is. And you notice it's always men, right? Not the women. I just don't understand it. Anyway, let's check out what was in the news this month. Harvey Weinstein pleaded not guilty to charges of rape and sexual assault in New York. The Miss America competition announced an end to its swimsuit round. Spoiler alert, this wasn't 1958. The UK government threw out plans for the tidal lagoon in Swansea Bay, claiming that the £1.3 billion project is not good value for money. England's football team recorded their biggest ever victory at a World Cup game, winning 6-1 against Panama, with captain Harry Kane scoring a hat-trick. And this month saw the death of flamboyant club owner Peter Stringfellow at 77 from cancer. So did you guess the month and year? It was June 2018. Year, not the month. Ah, well, there's always next week. This week's episode is sponsored by Canva for Teams. I'm not just here for top true crime stories and devastating insights. Oh no. Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do as host of this non-award nominated true crime podcast. But the creative process and design don't come easy to me. But as I now produce a weekly video and post at least two other pieces of designed content per week, it is more important than ever that it's as good as it can possibly be. And this is really where Canva for Teams, it's absolutely transformed this part of my life as their templates and the way everything on Canva is so straightforward and intuitive, it just makes it even easier for someone like me to produce consistent and decent looking posts. I'm particularly loving Canva whiteboards at the moment. It's a super easy way to capture your team's best ideas with loads of space to brainstorm and collaborate. So if you're producing content for your social channels, or you've put off doing it for a while as it can seem a bit, well, it's a bit daunting sometimes, isn't it? You really don't need to wait any longer. Try it today. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams right now. You can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash true crime. 
That's C-A-M-V-A dot M-E slash true crime for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash true crime. The Loch of Canordy Nature Reserve is in Kirimura in northeast Scotland, which is about 55 miles southwest of Aberdeen and 80 miles north of Edinburgh. It's a stunningly beautiful place where you can find lovely wildlife, including otters, red squirrels and deer. But amid all this beauty, a sight of pure horror met two members of the public at this spot at 5am on the 7th of June 2018. Inside the car park, they discovered the body of 27-year-old Stephen Donaldson lying next to a burnt-out car. Forensic experts were called to the scene and they determined that Stephen's body had been dragged across the car park and placed beside the car, which had been set on fire. It had been a brutal attack on Stephen when he was hit repeatedly on the head and neck with a heavy-bladed weapon, such as a cleaver, machete or an axe. It cut his spinal cord in two places. He also suffered 26 stab wounds and head injuries during the attack and defensive injuries on his body suggested he'd been desperately trying to protect himself during the assault. At the entrance of the car park there was heavy blood staining on the grass verge and marks on the ground showed that his body had been dragged across the floor before being dumped by the car which was set on fire. The fire caused severe fire damage to Stephen's body. It was a terrible and distressing scene, even for these hardened professionals. Detective Superintendent James Smith confirmed that CCTV footage was being examined and door-to-door inquiries were taking place, as he appealed for more information, saying, A post-mortem examination has established that Stephen was the victim of a brutal and sustained attack. His attacker, or attacker's, must be traced as a matter of urgency and I urge the public to assist me with this investigation to find out who is responsible. Officers have been speaking to motorists and members of the public on the B951 Kirimura to the Kirkton of King Goldrum Road yesterday evening in an effort to establish if they'd witnessed anything suspicious. And the police believed he had travelled from Arbrove to Kirimura during the evening of Wednesday the 6th of June in his white BMW 1 Series, with the private registration S73VED. Detectives urgently needed to find out more about Steve O'Donnellson, and why anybody would want to attack him and hurt him. He was enjoying a very successful career in the oil industry, and making some really good money, and was considering an even more lucrative job offer in the Middle East at the time of his death. He really loved cars and motorbikes and he was sensible with his money. He owned two flats in Arbroath where he'd grown up and he still lived with his mum and dad. And he owned another flat in Aberdeen which he rented out. He was close with his parents and his two sisters and his devastated sister Laurie told her the last time she'd seen him was during the early evening of the 6th of June when he'd been playing with his nephew in the garden of the family home in Arbroath. She saw her brother for the very last time when she waved him goodbye as he drove off to meet his on-off girlfriend Tamsin Glass in nearby Kirimur. The pair had been seeing each other since the previous autumn but recently had been quite a rocky relationship and it was currently off. It was the next afternoon when the unthinkable nightmare became reality for the family 
when a friend of Stephen's came to the family home as nobody had heard from him and they were concerned. They'd also heard that a body had been found in Kibi Muir, which sounded like it could be him. And of course, tragically, it was. Detectives called on Stephen's 24-year-old girlfriend, Tamsin Glass. Tamsin was a talented singer and performer. He'd been having singing lessons and taking part in local productions for the last 20 years, winning prizes in events such as the Arbroath Music Festival. To widen her sphere, she moved to Glasgow and sang with a group called Headland before joining the Scottish rock-pop outfit, the Graham Brown Band. They loved her and said the following about the influence she'd had on their music. The beautiful Tamsin Glass brings the much-needed smooth backing vocals to the band, rich harmonies, and overall makes our sound complete. But with a flat in Glasgow, her work in Kiri Muir, and weekly trips home for singing lessons, Tamsin began to struggle financially. This caused a strain in her relationship with Stephen, and when she wrote off a car that he'd bought for her in the early days of their relationship, her money problems got worse. She'd been borrowing money from her grandparents and her employer, and unbeknown to Stephen, she was also pregnant with his baby. When detectives asked her if she'd seen Stephen on the night of the 6th of June, she said she hadn't met him. But evidence from text messages and other witnesses made it very clear that she was lying. Why was she lying? Detectives were soon able to piece together just what had happened to Stephen after he left his home in Arbroath to see Tamsin. Tamsin had started a sexual relationship with another man, 24-year-old Stephen Dickey from her village. He wasn't a very pleasant piece of work. He was violent and just, just, just a nasty piece of work. Tamsin went swimming with Dicky, his friend Callum Davidson, and his girlfriend Claire Ogston the evening of the 6th of June. During the course of the evening, Stephen was texting Tamsin, and it was clear that he wanted to see her that night. Dicky got jealous that Stephen was contacting her. And what happened next isn't quite clear. But the basic facts are beyond dispute. Tamsin Glass arranged to meet Stephen in the nearby Peter Pan playground that evening. And before she met him, she drove Davison and Claire Ogston to pick up a baseball bat and other weapons. Dickie then arrived on his motorbike when Tamsin told him she was going to meet Stephen that evening and asked him, are you going to be able to deal with it? Dickie was no stranger to violence and he knew just what was being asked. A short time later, Tamsin Glass dropped off Davison and Dickey near to a path that led up a hill to the Peter Pan play park. Glass drove to the car park at the play park where she met Stephen as had previously been arranged between them. He was in his white BMW car. At about five past eleven that evening, Glass telephoned Dickey, seemingly to let him know that she was in the car park with Stephen. And not long after, Dickie and Davison arrived on foot and attacked the terrified Stephen in his car. They overwhelmed him in the savage assault, punching, hitting and stabbing him before forcing him into the back seat of his car, suffering from terrible injuries. Tamsin Glass witnessed this assault on her boyfriend. And don't forget, not just her boyfriend, the father of the child she was carrying, before calmly and coolly 
driving home to her parents' house in Kirimura, arriving there at about 10 past 11. But Davidson and Dickie weren't finished. As they drove Stephen in his car to the Nature Reserve car park at Lock of Kinordi on the other side of Kirimura. There, they jointly attacked him some more with the baseball bat and with other weapons. Quite why they showed such extreme levels of violence is unclear. Despite his injuries, Stephen fought for his life. He was desperate to survive. And a trail of blood found in the car park shows he managed to escape from the two thugs, but they caught up with him there and attacked again, probably leaving him unconscious by the entrance to the car park before dragging back to his car where they killed him. Davison's girlfriend, Claire Ogston, told the police that when her boyfriend returned home that night, he had a shower and she noted that he was a very grey colour and he was jumpy and on edge, which wasn't like him at all. He admitted to her he'd hit Stephen with the baseball bat in an argument that got out of hand. The bat had broken into pieces, showing the ferocity of the blows he must have inflicted upon Stephen. Dickie was also at the house and she saw him take out a vegetable knife from the jacket he'd been wearing and its blade was bent even though it hadn't been beforehand. Dickie and Davison washed the clothes they'd been wearing in the washing machine. No doubt they'd have been splattered with blood. It didn't take long with the evidence against them for the police to arrest Dickie, Davison and Glass. They were all arrested on suspicion of being involved in the murder of Stephen. Now, as we hear so often on this podcast, it wasn't long until all were blaming each other. Dickie said he played no part at all in the attack on Stephen. He said there had been a plan to attack Stephen, but it was just to beat him up, to warm him, to stay away from Tamsin Glass. Dickie reckoned that when they arrived at the Peter Pan Park, it had been Davidson who'd rushed ahead of him and attacked Stephen and somehow got in the car with him and it was unclear who had driven, but between them they'd managed to drive to the nature reserve and Dickie didn't even travel there. On the other hand, Davidson admitted punching Stephen at the Peter Pan place, but he said it was Dickie who had attacked him with a baseball bat and stabbed him. And after all, said Davidson, what motive had he got to do so? It was Dickie that was having the fling with glass. And as for Tamsin Glass, she said she was not aware that any violence was going to take place that evening and she denied ever going to the Peter Pan play area on the night that Stephen was attacked. She said that earlier that evening she'd asked Dickie if he would be able to speak to Stephen if she and Stephen began to argue and she got upset. As far as she was concerned, that is as far as any discussion or conversation she'd had with Dickie was gone. She told detectives that she did not suggest, encourage or imply to Dickie, far less instigate him, to use violence against Stephen. After all, why would she, she argued, as she was pregnant with his baby and it was likely that they were going to get back together again. At the conclusion of a four-week trial at Edinburgh's High Court, the jury didn't believe the stories told by the three young people on trial. Stephen Dickey and Callum Davidson were convicted of murder and Tamsin Glass was convicted of culpable homicide. It was revealed that Davidson and Dickey both had records for violence, with the worst offence being one from Davidson, a conviction the year before, for assault, which caused severe injury 
and permanent disfigurement and had led to him being sentenced to six months in prison. The judge before passing sentence took into account the information in the criminal justice social work reports. They revealed that neither Davison nor Dickey had shown any genuine remorse for their actions, no empathy or any insight into their crimes. Davison in particular had shown a callous disregard for Stephen's family and both men had been heard locally boasting about their crime. It's pathetic, isn't it? Dickey was told he would serve a minimum of 23 years behind bars, Davidson 24 years, while Glass was sent to prison for 10. Addressing them, the judge said that the two men had used extreme violence which had been sustained and prolonged. He said, You cut him down without mercy. I do not accept that you demonstrate genuine insight and empathy. You show callous disregard for Mr Donaldson's family. What I am left with is a clear picture that you are both cold-blooded, violent and unrepentant. The judge turned to Glass and told her that she was manipulative and devious in advancing your own interests. He said, you returned home where you continued to go on with your normal routine. You showed a chilling coolness. Stephen's devastated family read a statement outside court which said the following. Every day we think about Stephen and what happened to him and as a family we are still trying to come to terms with that loss. Stephen was a much-loved member of our family who was always willing to help out and always had a smile on his face. He was popular among a large group of friends and had a great sense of humour. His presence is sorely missed by us all. As a family we are extremely pleased with and welcome today's verdict. However, it doesn't bring Stephen back to us. Stephen was far too young to die, still having his full life ahead of him. His dreams and aspirations for life have been cut short due to the senseless and unprovoked actions of his killers. Stephen went to Kiri Muir that night to meet someone who he trusted, unaware that that very person would be the one to cost him his life. We believe there is no place in society for people who are willing to use weapons and commit such acts of violence. The lead detective said that Stephen thought he was going to see Tasman that evening, sort out his relationship with her and possibly retrieve some of his belongings. He was met with two individuals who assaulted him right from the very start, he said. A frenzied attack took place and then he was taken to Canordi Estate where the attack continued up to his death. The detective said the killing could not have happened without Glass setting it up. From an early stage we identified that Glass played a key role assisted by Dickie and Davidson. You can see the collusion of the three people that it had been a planned attack. He finally added it was one of the most shocking cases he'd been involved with. And actually, it was the same in court. The judge excused members of the jury for sitting in another case for 15 years due to the terrible content they'd seen and heard. Stephen Dickey took his own life at Perth Prison in November 2019 the same day as Glass and Davidson lost their bid to have their sentences reduced. The fatal accident inquiry concluded that Dickey died by hanging. He'd been sacked from his job as a passman in the jail the day before. This was a position that gave Dickey some privileges. As he had refused to wear, prison issued jogging bottoms when serving food, which was a basic requirement of the job. The inquiry found he'd been taken spice, but this was not thought to contribute to his death. 
he left notes for family members ahead of his hanging. He was just 24 when he died. And in May this year, 2023, Glass, who gave birth to Stephen's baby just before being sent to prison, made the news as she was being prepared for day release. Stephen's family were, understandably, not happy in the least with this, with a family spokesman telling the Dundee career, and Stephen's family and friends were absolutely disgusted to be informed that Glass, the person who orchestrated Stephen's murder, is eligible for day release from prison just four years into her sentence. As a family, we were asked if we wanted to make representations in regards to her release, and despite having done this, it would appear that our views have not been considered or taken seriously, nor has the safety of ourselves or the wider community. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Of course, the shocking violence we've heard is beyond all of our comprehension. But what I particularly struggle with here is that Stephen had done no harm whatsoever to Dickie and Davidson. He'd come that evening to meet Glass in order to discuss their relationship and try to address certain parts of it. It seems to me, reading between the lines, he was probably more interested in getting back together with her and less concerned by the £1,000 or so that she owed him for the car. And yet at Glass's request, just within a matter of hours and instigation, Davidson and Dickie had readily agreed to attack a stranger. And they planned the assault thoroughly by collecting weapons and choosing their spots to attack. More than one spot. And did they mean to just rough Stephen up? And did it just get out of hand? Or did they always plan to kill? Surely you would suspect the former. As there was so much evidence. I know they're not the brightest tools in the box. But surely there's so much evidence that they were always going to be found guilty. I also find it deeply disturbing that this attack continued in a second location, don't you? And what about Glass? Out of prison soon of a young child who she had with a man who, whether she intended or not, her actions directly led to his murder. Could you live with yourself or you that on your conscience? How could you ever sleep at night? And what about the child who will find out all the history of their parents as they grow up? I guess she will continue to stick to the story that she was totally innocent, don't you? I wonder what will become of them. And then finally, and most importantly, the family and friends of Stephen Donaldson. A good guy living his best life, who had the misfortune to date Glass. He's so much going for him and so much to look forward to, and yet he lost his life to two yobs in a deserted car park. It just isn't right, is it? I guess we can just hope that his family and friends find some strength to continue to gain some enjoyment from their lives. How do you even start to begin to come to terms with such terrible events? Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK True Crime, please just head over to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us who talk UK True Crime 24-7. And to support the show and keep me producing this free content, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. There's bonus episodes and loads of other exclusive content. I still have two more weeks of running a competition where every week I give away at least 10 true crime books along with a signed copy of my book about Scottish serial killer Angus Sinclair.
So just join us now to get your name in the draw. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Alison McGrath, Emma Louise Bell, Sophia Agra Olea, Sarah Morris and David Bacon. Your support is really so much appreciated. Thank you. So just head over to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Okay, so that's all from me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast for another week. If you can, if you're interested, please do support my sponsor Canva and take a trial with them. It's a really good product and it keeps advertisers spending some money with the independent podcasters like me. So until we speak again next week, please do take it easy and remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.